Welcome to The Life Tonic, a podcast where we explore the sacred connection between our mind, body, and the multiverse. I'm your host, Joanna O, and I will be joined by inspiring thought leaders, creators, healers, and disruptors in their space as we journey through many of life's greatest mysteries and unpack different concepts around alternative health and wisdom to expand our definition of self. I'm grateful you're here. So let's dive in. Hello, my beautiful people, and welcome back to the podcast with me. It's been a while that I've actually sat down to do a one-on-one sort of fireside chat type episode and a solo episode where we just have, you know, a talk about everything that's going on, a little update. I haven't really planned this particular sit-down session especially because it's been such a whirlwind of things and reasons why I haven't been able to record and I skipped a couple of episodes. If you follow me elsewhere on social media, you would have had an insight as to why. But I wanted to record a little bit and sort of just sit down and talk about a few things that I'm getting, that a few messages that have been coming through for me that I want to share talk a little bit about May. So the month of May that we're in now, particularly at this particular stage where I'm sitting to record this episode and use that as an introduction to a bonus episode. So some bonus content that I recorded with Bess Matassa, who's one of my favorite astrologers and tarot readers. I love her books and her work and she's just such a wonderful guest. And we had a beautiful episode you know, that came into existence. And I unfortunately was unable to share the full episode just because we talked about so many things that I thought, you know what, I'm just going to split it. And it makes for a fantastic addition uh, and also very topical um, as to where we are now cosmically to share it now. So she was amazing. If you want to go back and listen to that episode, I highly recommend you do so. Listening to her is literally like an act of meditation. Her voice is so calming and I just highly recommend you catch up with that. And I ended up, yeah, with this really long extra episode, which I had to trim. And I said to myself, I will keep the part of us discussing retrogrades for a different upload. And, you know, we were in a wonderful spell of zero planets and retrograde for a while And now that, you know, we've got Pluto, which is a planet I have been diving deeper into this year, we're actually getting ready after 10 plus years to wrap up this beautiful journey and this earth sign for Pluto and Capricorn, this journey coming to an end, its lessons, Pluto's last retrograde ended in October 2021. So since this time, it w- for me, what's been coming through has been, and really also in sessions with others, you know, how have we transformed? Pluto is so much about death and rebirth and really that cyclical approach to these two themes, to these two energies that are so integral 
to one another that coexist where one cannot exist without the other. So really for me, it's been, you know, transformation, transformation, transformation has been the key, key, key word. How have we transformed? How have we used the energy of Pluto to confront our shadows and come out stronger and actually have a rebirth of our own, a rebirth of an area of our life and a rebirth of, you know, looking back at 2021 where we were at that time. I think on a collective level, this is definitely something I'm seeing is every, each one of us having this individual rebirth and together rebirthing into, you know, this, this end of kind of of the Capricorn weather, the Capricorn Plutonian weather. So we've got um, at the end of this month, so in a couple of days, next week, actually, May 19th, um, 20th, as the sun is settling into the constellation of Gemini. So the start of Gemini season, we've got this sort of energetic shift, which has been really interesting as well for me. This this shift that's beginning, you know, where we're shifting, I suppose, from the lower chakras. And if I was to link this back to this idea of, you know, what I just said, the the end of the Plutonian weather, the Capricorn Plutonian weather, which is very much grounded in the material, in the resources, in the earth, in this sort of material plane and earthly plane that we operate in. And now we're seeing this shift from, you know, those lower chakras. So the the base, the root, where it's really our base desires, our, our core needs, our instinct our instinctual drivers shifting into a higher expression of energy. So our higher chakras where we're connected more divinely to other realms. And as an air sign, Gemini energy is always sending, you know, inspired ideas. It's always about these kind of light bulb moments and in floating sometimes through the airwaves. So there's, there's kind of two ways where this is coming through on one side, it's just this, this clarity of mind. And I think it's so fitting that in, in May we are kind of bringing our attention to mental health awareness um, throughout the month. And I've seen so many beautiful posts, you know, uh, around social media on that topic, but kind of on, on that side, really that elemental effect of Gemini is concerning the mind, you know, clarity of the mind, a mind that is free of chatter. And under Gemini season 2022, Mercury, like I said, will be in retrograde. Um, This may have us feeling, you know, on one side, really seeking that mental clarity that that I'm talking about, and also having that moment of mental fog, you know, feeling a little confused. There's a sense of almost like an identity crisis, uh, feeling uncertain about how we want to move forward. And obviously, you know, the the very, very highly televised uh, reputation of Mercury to do with glitches and that feeling that you just can't go right, that things are just glitching. I mean, that's really the best way to describe it. And 
there's something very, very beneficial in this bonus content that you're about to listen to about retrogrades and the way that we approach retrogrades in modern astrology. Mercury retrograde during Gemini season especially is actually a blessing in disguise because it's about slowing things down and creating that sort of sluggish feeling, which is so unfamiliar to Gemini most of the time. So it's about being patient, trusting that flow of the universe. And like I said, we're moving from the lower to the upper chakras and connecting, you know, more, more to the crown, more to the third eye, really doing that, that heart, that kind of mind expanding work, getting the knowing as opposed to really kind of diving into as much information as we can consume at any one time, which is also a Gemini favorite pastime is reading just about anything about everything. And getting that knowing instead, you know, that the right answers are to be revealed to us, that they will be revealed to us in time. Gemini season also brings the Gemini new moon at the end of this month on May 30th, which uh, helps close the eclipse portal that we have been working with since the end of April. And that's when energies are kind of starting to settle at this time, you know, we begin to feel a little bit more stability, especially around the transformations that have occurred. So when I say, you know, look back at the at the little deaths, uh, quote unquote, that we've experienced, what transformations have happened in our lives, how have we emerged, transformed in, in the various areas of our life that have been affected? If you do want to see where uh, Gemini, um, well, where Mercury retrograde is falling into your chart, you know, what part of your chart is being illuminated by um, this retrograde, look at the Gemini area of your chart, and that will give you an insight as to dominating theme of this retrograde for you. Ancient astrologers did believe that Mercury retrograde was a time when it was traveling through the underworld, through the hidden realms through the shadows in order to bring back and help us uncover these hidden messages, these intuitive insights, and ultimately to help us hear these higher truths, to listen in for those higher messages. And for this reason, it was suggested always um, traditionally, I suppose, to wait before signing really important things, signing onto contracts, booking things, travel, you know, that there's all, again, this idea of glitching, you know, and also kind of steering clear of big life decisions, especially those affecting our living situation um, during that Mercury uh, retrograde period. And it was also believed that when Mercury eventually emerges with all these hidden messages, that we would get that higher understanding of what was underlying all these things, that things become clearer, that they're revealed to us, and we get this renewed perspective of how to proceed forward. Now, I do think this can be true, um, specifically as somebody who works in the, in the media industry, who runs not only this podcast, but relies heavily on technology and everything that I do um, almost on a daily basis. I do think there is an element of truth, but ultimately when 
we look at a retrograde, it's it's about adding a re, you know, the, the re to everything, the re. So the rethinking, the reviewing, it's that deeper introspection, if you will. So even if you were to sign on to a contract and, you know, I've seen so many people that I've worked with actually uh, be in a position where they have to sign a contract or start a new job or, I don't know, sign really important like papers around Mercury retrograde. However, the process that led up to this moment, beginning before a Mercury retrograde, was, I think that's what's key here, is that when a process has begun outside of a Mercury retrograde period, there is still that energy that carries over that energy of clarity. Whereas if, you know, we're now only emerging with a new idea, with a new thing that we want to suddenly shift in our environment, in our life during a Mercury retrograde phase, it's not that we are kind of faced with a roadblock because of this retrograde, but it is asking us to just have that extra moment of, of pause, you know, that extra breath, that extra review, um, reread the terms and conditions, if you will. So I think that's what's really important to stress. This, there's no downside, you know, you don't stop doing the things that you do. You don't stop living your life because a planet is retrograde and the planet rules X, Y, Z. Rather, it's a pause. It's a much necessary pause, actually. In most instances that I've seen in my observation, it's a necessary pause wherever this happens to be unfolding in your life. So what we need to pay attention to is if in a way illuminated, you know, Mercury retrograde can become a challenge when we're impatient, when we have a lot of mental clutter, when we're ignoring our intuition, when specifically when we are pushing forward without all the facts and that we fail to communicate clearly to other parties. And that's when it becomes a challenge. But again, you know, take a step back from this, pause you know, what here needs my attention? What is being illuminated for me? Where do I perhaps need to address a blind spot? And, you know, since we're navigating eclipse season, there's also that heightened sensitivity because eclipse season is very much about illuminating things, but it's also about obscuring, right? Like obscuring of light, um, where information and sort of that intangible knowing, quote unquote, again, can already be obscured. So for this reason, we have this like moving of sort of moving slowly, being patient, using the energy to pause before rushing ahead. And eclipses tend to guide us to the next big step anyway. So this is a really great period of surrender and trusting the flow, just being shown the way, let it show you the way, let it illuminate, you know, where perhaps you might have missed something. We have the blood moon eclipse, which is the second in a, in a series of eclipses. It's about ending and closing a cycle. It's actually more of a closing of a cycle because it's the corresponding eclipse. And Mercury retrograde is kind of here to assist us in this process by really unearthing deeper insights and these intuitive messages. You know, on the surface, Mercury retrograde seems to be slowing things down and creating delays, but that extra time 
like I said, it's just such a big gift. And I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that I did miss a few episodes. Um, I shared on Instagram that I traveled home last month and I got very, very ill literally on my first night. I lost my voice over the course of these recovery days. But like I always say, every illness in the body is a purge. It's welcoming new energies. And this was also happening around the new moon, by the way, and releasing the old. And I truly felt like so synchronistically, I needed that downtime and I didn't seek it. So it just kind of came and found me. I had a beautiful reading with a medium who was recommended to me by one of you on Instagram days before my travel. And one thing that did come up was taking time to rest. Very topical to what I was just saying about, you know, this kind of lingering energy in May, acknowledging the act of, you know, keeping it together when in fact it hasn't been that long since I suffered a tremendous amount of loss in my personal life. And that really hit me, you know, coming up just now to one year of uh, losing my grandfather, then my father, I thought, wow, I really had been making this whole process of being with myself and with that pain so cerebral. And I was intuitively, you know, drawn to working on bringing mind, body, and soul into it and progressively moving and becoming comfortable with a new way of progressing into that work, into processing the grief, you know, laying literally on the floor, playing music, moving my body, just feeling. And it all really hit the fact that I hadn't been able to connect to meditate for start like I used to it just wasn't the practice that was befitting of this particular processing that needed to take place movement rather for emotional regulation um, connection you know to these elements of, of me and that was just really like when I had to take a step back and was just grounded like literally grounded for a few days where I had to be in my body, where I had to actually feel it, feel it in my body, feel the feelings, be able to connect to that part of us. You know, when we're stressed, when we're grieving, when we're heartbroken, rejected, fearful, when we're uncertain, it's all about alchemizing the emotion. And there's a law around this that I'm doing at the moment in terms of research and work to bring into my sessions and particularly when I work with women because meditation and yoga, which are traditionally practices that are designed by men for men are extremely beneficial, of course. And I know people who have done, you know, amazing things through those modalities, but they are and is becoming more and more apparent to me, especially since the beginning of this year, as we're working through the balancing of divine feminine and masculine energies, which is a huge topic probably for another episode. It's becoming apparent to me that as a woman with a body that is constantly in flow, that is you know, tuned in almost to the, well, not almost, but completely tuned into the flow of the universe, to nature that is constantly renewing, going through this endless cycle of renewal. To be still is not always the solution 
the, you know, we get so heavily advertised uh, too. And it's more about moving, you know, again, the idea of alchemizing the emotion and connecting to those parts of us, that body, you know, what is my energy right now? What is my, what does my body need right now? And I think so often we, we forget that we forget because we are in that cerebral state. Like I said, you know, we are trying to make sense of things. And so we're more in the head and less in the body. It's really kind of projecting me into the thought more and more that by the end of this year, thanks to these retrogrades, thanks to this energy shift, because that's there's a lot happening under the surface, we're all emerging feeling much clearer on what we want and particularly because the eclipses are happening on the Taurus Scorpio axis, what we want out of love, out of our career, and perhaps even trailblazing our own path into the future in any one area of our life. I quote my notes here, April 30th, 2022, we had the new moon solar eclipse in Taurus. This one was really, again, I cannot stress it enough about rest and relishing the blessings that have come about in life. We had Jupiter and Venus. There's that real intensity, the real feeling deeply in your bones of gratitude, this external sense of faithfulness, of faithful encounters and new beginnings. And then we've got a retrograde Pluto suddenly in Capricorn, another topic that I found myself diving into earlier this year, the height of the Plutonian energy this divine intervention from the underworld that brings things into perspective, that allows us to face our fears, to face the instinctual nature we've allowed to decide for us and see a combination of a beautiful new beginning with true authenticity at the core. And in a few days time, May 15th, 16th, this blood moon eclipse in Scorpio, and when I wrote this earlier this year, and these are my original notes that I've got in front of me right now, I wrote misalignment and communication possible. Pay attention to the energy with which you relay messages out into the world. So in essence, eclipses are lunar eclipses, are a symbol of completion. They're a symbol of permanence, highlighting themes that have been hidden from us. And you have to remember the moon governs the subconscious, the unconscious or subconscious mind. And eclipses bring emotional resets that really help us declutter these unconscious fears that no longer serve us or that we let decide for us beneath the surface of our awareness, highlighting themes that have been hidden. And at the same time, full moons that are this magnifying glass where our issues and patterns that are holding us back are not eclipsed, but actually revealed means that we become more acutely aware of what areas of our lives are lacking and where we perhaps are in a situation to make a startling discovery that strengthens or disrupts this idea that we hold about what is right and wrong. Now, without further ado, on to my bonus discussion with Besmatessa on what it means to be an astrologer and her take on retrogrades. 
So before we started recording, or before I hit record, we sort of touched on the retrograde. But how do you feel about the retrogrades of 2022? And generally, like, how do you approach retrogrades in your poetic signature fashion? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, my image for retrogrades has always been, and I don't know, you know, maybe there's some more work to do excavating some new imagery around this. But for me, retrogrades are kind of like, you know, the planet at school, you know, you see the planet at school, like in the day to day. And then when the planet um, is, you know, moving in retrograde fashion, it's like you have a slumber party with the planet. Like you take it home, you get to know more internalized aspects of it. You know, you get to know it kind of after dark. Um, There's something that's very kind of internalized about uh, looking at its themes. And I have to say, like, Maybe maybe this will shift and change, but I have never been an astrologer who's been too hung up on retrograde motion. Like to me, you know, if you're looking at the outer planets, they're traveling retrograde, you know, maybe that's not even the right language. Sometimes I get all tripped up in the language. You know, people like have very particular ways they like to talk about like retrograde motion and how it's happening. And, you know, but the outer planets, they're retrograde like half the freaking year, you know, and Mercury retrograde is happening three times a year. You know, some of the other planets like Venus and Mars, we might look to as a little more kind of specialized in their retrograde, which we entered this year, 2022, on a Venus retrograde or within a Venus retrograde. And we're going to, you know, kind of finish out the year with some Mars retrograde action, um, which don't happen as often. So I think sometimes those can be kind of like a little more activating or a little more, um, you know, kind of cause for, not cause for alarm, but cause for attention and inquiry. Um, But retrograde motion in general to me, and, you know, I think it depends too on our chart. You know, some of us are are people who might have Mercury uh, retrograde as one of our natal planets, or, you know, we might be a very Mercury dominant person, you know, with a lot of Gemini or a lot of, you know, third house, sixth house, a lot of Virgo. And so that might be a particularly activating time, you know, for us. Um, For me personally, like I tend to to feel a lot more strongly like a Venus retrograde or a Mars, you know, maybe it's, you know, connected to my Aries energy and my Libra energy. Um, But I think in general, sort of like, uh, and I think we're already doing this collectively because people are getting more and more astrologically savvy and like working with it in a non-predictive, non-deterministic way um, is to really like dispel the myth, any any mythological residue that this is a problem or it's something to be scared of or it's something's going to happen and do something to you externally. Um, you know, I think that's kind of like step one to retrograde um, uh, attunement. And then also just to sort of like observe and to notice what you feel. You know, you might be someone really Scorpio heavy and that the six months or up to six months a year that Pluto uh, is, you know, in retrograde might be might be a, a, a point of time that you're really kind of like taking that energy in and really looking at how it functions in your inner life. But I think just that like general overarching offering that um, that retrograde motion is an opportunity to work with the energy in a more internal, you know, kind of slumber party after dark way, um, looking at not just how it activates in the external world or we take action in the external world on it, but, um, you know, how we relate to it on a more internal plane, you know, so for Mercury retrograde, looking at how we metabolize things, you know, for Mercury, for me, you know, it's about communication on some level, it's airy, it's connected to Gemini, but on another level, it's also Virgo and it's also earthy. So more largely it's about the metabolization, 
I don't know if that's the word, but it's about the metabolizing of our experiences. So looking at how we kind of take up from the environment, what we put out and what that little portal or that sieve is in, in that motion. So yeah, I think really um, not being afraid of these things and uh, using them as, as opportunities for self-examination or for deeper inquiry. Yeah, I love the imagery as well about the slumber party, <laughs> because it is, you're right, that by the by the time you come out of a retrograde, actually, a lot of the time we end up feeling that clarity, whether it's what we want out of love, career, like perhaps you've been focusing on that particular area for you, um, or just trailblazing like your own path, I suppose, in, into the future. So I guess my last question to you is, like, how has your life changed when you became a full-time astrologer and I'm really grateful to your Saturn return for like bringing <laughs> this about, but how has your life changed and like, how does the day to day look like? Because I think a lot of people want to know what the life of an astrologer is like. <laughs> the life of an astrologer. Well, yeah. you know, it's not as glamorous as you might imagine. No, I don't think people imagine that the life of astrologers are glamorous. I think it's, um, it's very granular and it's very like, it's a commitment to um, to being with the changing textures of the world. Like I think, um, you know, I was speaking with somebody recently and, you know, at this point I've amassed, you know, almost a decade's worth of content, quote unquote, on all these signs and these planets and these cards and everything like that. And I used to be a very intensive horoscope writer. So I had just all these, all these words and all these expressions of what these things meant. And then I started, you know, writing, uh, you know, books and, and all that was out in the world. And, and yet every time I go to approach the energy or create something new, it's like, I can never almost never repurpose content. And I was speaking with someone about this the other day and it was like, why not? And the answer is that I change and my understanding of all these symbols changes all the time. That's not to say that there isn't, you know, through threads and currents to my understanding of certain things, but it's, um, it's a commitment to, to presence and to holding some sort of center and communication with evolution. And so I know that's quite a sort of abstract statement about what the day-to-day -day looks like, but I think um, there isn't this idea at all of like knowing things or, you know, like, I mean, I think that there's certain knowings that I come to through this beautiful language that help me give meaning to my experience, but like the work quote unquote is never like done. I haven't cracked any code or I don't know something that you don't know or anything like that. It's just the particular language, the same way that someone else might, you know, use the language of music or, you know, speak uh, Russian or whatever the thing is as a way to identify parts of their experience. So in that way, I don't know that my, my life has changed all that much from the time I was that 10 year old kid kind of looking to language the world in this way. Um, but I think the thing that I have seen for me evolve over time that I'm always working with, but but is a kind of settling into in different moments, like the rainbow of experience. Like if something comes forward, we're in a certain astrological season or a certain transit's happening, or I'm working consciously with a particular archetype, I'm just trying to cultivate increased curiosity around what it would mean to rest within that particular energy and really 
um, really kind of make love to it in that moment or, or be close to it in that moment without sort of rushing to pop out or rushing to reach for something that feels more like a factory setting or more quote unquote easy for me. And so I think in that way, it's this like opportunity to really look at the rainbow of all of these different shades and ways of experiencing life. Um, but just on the day to day, you know, it's also like, it's also a, a job and it's a very particular kind of job that, um, I don't want to say it leaves you no rest, but like my life is indistinguishable in some ways from the work that I do. And that can present a glorious opportunity for feeling really coherent and creatively expressed and all of that. And it can also present a lot of challenges because it calls you into a certain integral relationship where it's like, oh, damn, I'm like kind of working all the time in some way, you know, because I'll, you know, I'll see a symbol or I'll experience something in my own life or have a conversation and it's all part of it. And so that all part of itness gives a really um, glorious, you know, holism and also, you know, is, is challenging, you know, at times. Um, at this point, you know, I think that's, that's sort of where I've landed in like understanding, um, you know, how to inquire around the integrity of things and how to, um, how to try to move toward the texture of each moment and the offering, you know, that the, the, the archetypal offering of it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, it's softened me, I would say the, the biggest way maybe that it's changed me, you know, if I looked at myself 20 years ago, or even 10 years ago, before this particular part of my professional journey, you know, I was a bit of a hard ass, like I was a Aries stellium, you know, I was on the side of will a lot. And I think the greatest thing that I've gotten from this language, and we're all somewhere on that continuum of will, you know, there's certain people that might feel like they want a dose of more willfulness and they want to move toward more of that activated state. But for me, I was on a continuum moving to equilibrate toward the other, you know, the other end of that, the kind of softer, more receptive end to that. And if I look at my life now, it's a deep dance with that. It's a deep dance with trying to listen and then attempting to understand to the extent that that's possible and to then kind of take the shape or to respond. And so I think that responsiveness has been um, perhaps the biggest shift in, in my life, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love what you said. Just it's kind of creating that space, but holding that space where you're so truly authentically I guess, radically yourself, but also in radical acceptance of, or in synchronicity rather, like coexisting in synchronicity with the environment and yet being able to hold space for people. And I love the fact that you do this in a, can I say unbiased way? Like, I don't know, it's, it just doesn't feel dogmatic. And I, I think it's really important mm -hmm. to say this because for a lot of people, that's like the pain point of astrology is that it can feel indoctrinating and everything you've just said just highlights wh what I feel about astrology, that it's actually a space of creativity and we are able to move away from those set, quote unquote, um, ideas about everything. Yeah, that idea of dogmatic, and this is probably an entirely different podcast episode, but like there's yeah. so many re reasons, I think, or like points of inquiry we can, you know, use to kind of, um, 
you know, dig out the the whyness of why astrology, I think, has been so, seemed so dogmatic to people for so many years. But I think we're in a really interesting turning point with the way that as more people learn to recover their innate ability to speak it and access these symbols to, you know, the dare I say it, you know, this word gets bandied about a lot, but a more intuitive art, you know, I think there's, there's been this kind of um, almost, um, like urge to either place astrology in the camp of science and to like prove it, quote unquote, with mathematics and with the way the moon moves or, you know, anything like that. Or on the other end of the spectrum to say, oh, it's totally faith-based. It's on the side of religion or, you know, some sort of, you know, other kind of end of that binary. And I think we're starting to learn in so many ways on so many different registers that binaries are, you know, like, are not functioning for people, you know, are not a useful way perhaps of interpreting experience. And astrology has always inhabited that in-between space. It's, it's, you know, some hybrid of art or psychology or whatever we want to call it, but it's just a way to make meaning out of our experience. And so I think we're really at this exciting point where the dogmatism the dogmatics, I don't know which, what the word is, um, is starting to fall away and people are starting to recover like, oh, there might be another way into this. There might not be just like the stricture of like this cookbook style of what it means to have, you know, Mars on the midheaven, what this means and what this is going to mean. And to understand, okay, these are currents, these are charges. I can get a cursory understanding of the sensation of what they are. And then it's up to us to figure out how that plays out in our lives and our charts. And that's both very wildly liberating and also uh, hands us the responsibility, I think, for working with this language in a way um, that's in integral understanding and in uh, continuing commitment to the people that we are and the people that we're becoming, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Your last sentence is probably the sentence that's going to make people or skeptics fall in love with astrology because the (laughs) amount of time people say, well, I am not into astrology because I have free will. Well, exactly. That is, that is the beauty of it. Exactly. Like you said. Yeah, for sure. I always say like when people are like, well, make me a believer. And this doesn't happen that much anymore. I think when I was younger and I was a bit more of like a fighter, you know, I would get a lot of people like coming at me and being like, oh, astrology, make me believe. I don't believe in it. And it's like, it's not really something to believe in or not. It's just a language that's either useful to describe your experience and, and on your unfolding path or it's not. And so I don't, you know, I'm not setting out to like convert anybody to astrology or, you know, I think it's it's something that naturally finds people at different times when that language feels resonant to them. So I just want to offer that. Thank you for listening today and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to check out the show notes if you wish to explore the themes of today's episode a little further as well as learn more about my inspiring guest. I'd love to connect with you and hear your thoughts about what you enjoyed on the podcast. Please be so kind as to leave a review, subscribe, and share with anyone you think would benefit from today's episode. Till next time.